listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, hey, Northside, I just want to take a moment and look back to celebrate this past week. You know, we, we had our week of VBS here at Northside, and, and probably a lot of you were either a part of that, you saw what was going on. If not, I, I just want to fill you in. We had, we had 502 kids participate in VBS this year, this past week. And in addition to that, had 276 different volunteers that came throughout the week and served in various capacities, who made it happen, who pulled it off. When we were talking about something so important. It was on the armor of God. I were to stand firm with the armor of God in place. And uh, I'm just telling you, this was a powerful week. I think one of my favorite moments is uh, I was helping with the dramas every day. That was my role to come out here. I was dressed up like a knight or something like that. And I was helping with dramas. And on, on one day, uh, I believe it was, was Wednesday, I think. I have to remember my days. But we were talking about the shield of faith. And uh, on that day, as we talked about the shield of faith, we were talking about how the enemy, Satan, shoots his flaming arrows at us, according to Ephesians 6. And, and we talked about his D-darts, those darts of doubt and discouragement and disunity and death. And we just went through the list of ways that Satan is on his attack in our lives every day. And we've got to have the shield of faith in place. And so on that day, I had these arrows. I had a big bow, had the arrows with the padded tips on them. And Silas, uh, who was playing the part of Christian, was across the stage. And I was telling him he needed to deflect every arrow from Satan with that shield of faith. And I had that first one. I was putting it on the bow. I'm like, this is the arrow of doubt. And with doubt, we know he wants you to doubt that God loves you, doubt that God cares for you, doubt that God even created you. He wants you to doubt. I'm building it up. And I pull that arrow back and let it fly. And he's like, and he blocks it. The kids are like, yeah. Like, yeah. And then I got another, I'm like, this is discouragement. He just wants to discourage you. With the opposite of courage, it's not fear. It's to discourage you from everything that God wants from you. He wants to pull out of your life. And I'm like, and so I was like, and the kids were like, yeah. It was like with every arrow, it just got louder and there was more volume and the kids were cheering. That was my favorite part of VBS right there. Loved it. It was so awesome. Kids loved it. Yeah, powerful week. Just celebrating how God is more powerful than the evil one. The other thing we were celebrating is uh, our kids this week, which is amazing when you think about their offering, what they gave to our global workers in North who are doing work in North Africa and around the world with media to movement, and, uh, which is awesome. But, you know, when you look at Monday's offering, which is always really bad, I think it was like $26. Um, it was like Monday's offering. But uh, by Thursday, uh, the offering was $2,588.40 that they gave to God's work there. So I think we should celebrate what God did through that too. Uh, just grateful for uh, you, because we know where most of those funds come from, but also your kids too. Uh, they're giving from their, uh, whatever it is, their allowances or things that they've made too. And it's just a powerful week. And, uh, but one of the things I want to do really quick, just to give gratitude to God for this, is if, if you served in any capacity, whether it was from decoration to, to snacks to crew leaders to recreation, whatever, would you just stand really quick just for a moment? Just stand, because we had over 276 people do this all throughout our church. And just those of you, can we just thank God? Thank you. Thank God. For every person who served and, and gave this week. And uh, it was just a powerful week. So I just want to pray for the ongoing impact of VBS and also just for what God wants to do in us today. So let's just pray together. And Lord, we thank you that God, first of all, you have equipped us 
and empowered us uh, to put on the full armor that, God, you give us. And uh, we know it's because of you and to stand firm against the evil one and his schemes. We need it. We need that belt of truth buckle around our waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to this, we need the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. And Lord, I just want to pray that, that we would live in this way. Lord, today we want to be open to hear from you, from your word, and that we want to do what you say and obey it. And God, we need you to grow us, to stretch us. It doesn't matter how many years we've been in this spiritual walk with you. It's a journey that does not end. And so we become more and more like Christ and more who you created us to be. And I just want to pray that today we'd have ears to hear your word and respond, do, act on it. And so, Lord, we just give you all the praise and glory today. And grateful for the work you're already doing, but excited for the work to come. And it's in Christ's name we pray. All God's people say, amen. Well, you know, I, I know that we're in a series right now, This to That, where we've been talking about the, the seven journeys that every disciple must go through. It, it's, um, you don't reach the finish line. It's a journey you'll spend your entire life doing. We, we talked about that first one, going from earner to heir. It's a journey of trust in the Lord. Uh, the next week, we talked about that journey from knowledge to obedience, that this is a journey learning what it means to obey God fully. We talked about the journey from receiving to sharing, that everything we receive from God, we're to share it with others. We talked about that journey last week from charitable to extravagant, how we are to be people who give, give generously. This is who God has created us to be as his disciples. Today I want to talk about another journey that we're on, every one of us. It's not one you complete or finish on this side of heaven, but it's an important one, a critical one, especially right now in the country in which we live. A journey where a lot of people are, are drifting into isolation. This is a journey from isolation to community. It's a journey of what it means to relate to one another as, as followers of Jesus. From isolation to community. We live in a culture right now that's becoming more isolated. In fact, there's, it, the natural gravitational pull is towards isolation. There's many reasons for that, causes for that. We may hit on a couple today. It could be our own insecurities, our own distancing. It, it could be that, that we don't lean into community for all these reasons and, and brokenness in our own lives or families. But isolation is a problem right now. In fact, a comprehensive study that the Washington Post recorded and reported on back in 2006. I want to cite this because I want to give you a more recent one uh, coming up. But they did a study in 2006. It was called Social Isolation Growing in the United States that America is becoming increasingly fragmented. That's what that article was about. That we got a problem. We're drifting into isolation. We're becoming more fragmented as a culture. And that intimate social ties, which were once an integral part of our daily life, with all kinds of psychological and civic benefits, it's now shrinking, or the article said, non-existent. It said in bad times, people seem to just be suffering alone. So many people suffering alone. They said compared to 1985, they had a 50% increase of people reporting that their spouse was the only person they could confide in. It was a journey into isolation. And they said, what happens if that spouse gets sick or ill or leaves or dies? And is long, longer in their life. Who do they have in their life to support them? 
The study said if close social relationships support people in the same way that beams support a building, more and more Americans appear to be dependent on a single beam. And that is catastrophic. That is dangerous. It's not sustainable. It's like what John Townsend said in regard to this kind of necessary community support that we need. He said, if you're listing your community support and you come up with your dog and your spouse, you need a longer list. You're in trouble. In the book Bowling Alone, Robert Putnam identified how since 1980, bowling leagues were on significant decrease. He said there that there was a 40% drop from the time that that he was talking about that 1980 until 2000 when he wrote his book. There was a significant drop in bowling leagues. But at that time, there had been a 20-year increase of bowlers. And what he was saying was, they're bowling, they're just bowling alone. And it was just one example of what's happening in our culture, in our community, where people are moving more and more into isolation. They're leaving their civic groups. They're leaving community organizations. They're leaving their churches. They're leaving community, and they're drifting into isolation. It went on to say that we become increasingly disconnected from family, friends, and neighbors, and that it's not sustainable for our society if we're going to be healthy. In May of this year, in 2023, the Washington Post cited our Surgeon General saying loneliness poses a profound public health threat. We have greater risk of depression, greater risk of anxiety, and what may even be more surprising is we actually now have greater risk of heart disease, stroke, and dementia, and it's because of isolation. His advisory calls for a collective effort to mend the social fabric of our nation including teaching children how to build healthy relationships, talking more to relatives and friends and co-workers, spending less time online or on social media if it comes at the expense of in-person interactions. They cited some studies that showed that time spent with friends declined 20 hours a month between 2003 and 2020. So in, in less than 20 years, we decreased almost on average of six hours a week, less interaction with friends, with people as a society. It went on to report that young adults are twice as likely to report feeling lonely as senior citizens do. This article went on to say this isn't just people feeling good or feeling bad about their social life. Julianne Holt Lundsted, the professor of psychology and neuroscience at Brigham Young University and the lead science editor of the advisory, said it truly has impact on our physical health. Medical experts are citing this when it comes to loneliness and isolation. They're saying the impact of loneliness on your physical health is the equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. They said it's possibly worse than obesity, Isolated people are at risk of having significantly shorter lifespans. And that's what, what they're finding is this drift into isolation, this drift into loneliness is actually having a greater impact on the physical health of our people in our nation than 15 cigarettes a day. Obesity and some of these other issues. It's no wonder psychologist Philip Zimbardo said, The devil's strategy for our times is to trivialize human existence by isolating ourselves from one another. That's what Satan's been doing from the beginning. 
He wants to isolate, divide, separate us from other people and from community and relationship. That's been his ploy from the beginning. And he's doing it at an all-time high right now. If you think about it, Kerry Newoff says this in his article, one of the worst punishments we hand out as a culture other than the death penalty is solitary confinement. Yet what the prison system hands out as punishment, isolation, is now becoming the reality for many people in our culture. People with few, if any, meaningful relational connections. They're not cared for, they're not comforted by others, and they're not supported, they're not thriving. And the culture does not have a great solution for this. But the church does. The church does have a good solution for this. God does speak into this. And we desperately need to move from isolation into community, into relationship, into vulnerability, into authenticity. We need to find deeper meaning to go depth in our relationships and not wider in our relationships. What we're discovering just as we look at the society around us, first of all, is this. And these are the reasons why we need to live in community with each other. And the first one is this. Living in community positively impacts your overall health. Physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, mentally. It affects your health because God created you this way. This is biblical in the book of Genesis. is how God created you. And I don't know, maybe you've lost community because you were in a toxic family, a toxic relationship, and maybe in all of that, just to guard yourself, you had to protect yourself by not being open or not being vulnerable or not sharing or not entering into community. Maybe there were behaviors that didn't allow you to have support and care in your life. That's one reason why maybe you've drifted towards isolation. Or maybe it's because... For you, you were taught to be successful. You had to be independent. So don't rely on anyone else. Or maybe you learned for the job to be done right, you had to do it yourself. Or maybe you learned that if you're financially independent, you're happier. Or if you're relationally independent, you'll be freer. Or if you don't need anyone, then you're a self-made success story. And that's what's epitomized. I don't know what the reasons are. But we're drifting into isolation. And George Gallup, who does a lot of research and polls, came to the conclusion that the Americans are the loneliest people on the planet. We got issues when it comes to isolation and loneliness and our struggle with this and just how disconnected we are from people. The way our culture is set up, independence has just separated us from each other. And, and we, the culture doesn't have a good solution for this. It's not going anywhere in the positive direction at all right now. We just become more fragmented, more divisive. But the church does. From Genesis to Revelation, from the very beginning, we learn that God created us for community and intimacy and relationship with each other. That we actually need to be in relationship in order to be human. That from the beginning, God had fellowship in the Trinity. And so by design, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in relationship as one created us in his image to be in community, to be in relationship. We desperately need this, and we need to recover that. We need to restore what has been lost and broken in community. It's because we're created in the image of the Trinity that loneliness is so crushing, that broken relationships are so debilitating, that death is so painful. Lack or loss of relationship violates our essential nature created to reflect the relational essence of God. Larry Crabb describes what it looks like when we go deeper into community. 
When we allow ourselves to begin to open up and become vulnerable in this way, he describes community with others as this. He says, first of all, number one, it's being discovered. Like giving someone access to my life. That's at your first layer of community is where we're discover- we give someone access to our life. The second layer is being explored where you have a few people warmly and thoughtfully curious about who you are. You got people interested in you personally. That's another layer of community. The third layer is being known, being fully transparent and living with no secrets before one or two people. The fourth layer is being touched. And by that, he says, when what is most alive in one person touches what is most alive in another, we become more open, more known, more relational, more vulnerable. We need to go deeper into community with other people. That's what God's vision is for his followers. It's best summed up by Dallas Willard, who said, God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer, and the most glorious inhabitant. God has created us for this. He's wired us this for you and me to fully participate in life that God has designed for us. We need other people in our lives. We desperately need it. And we see that throughout Scripture. We see it in Genesis in the beginning. It's how God created us. We see it in Ecclesiastes, a a piece of wisdom literature when Solomon would write these words and say, hey, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I mean, in our culture, that's becoming more and more the case. He says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands can quickly, is not quickly broken. We are better together than we are alone. We are Two is better than one, and what's better than two is three, and that kind of community is important. And what Solomon is saying is living in community, here's the reason we live in community, is because it results in greater productivity, greater results, greater security, greater benefit when we're in community together. When you have people in your life that you can rely on, it brings out the best in you. When you feel loved and supported, and you got someone who can help you in times of need, that's when you thrive. You've probably heard before how a, there's different kinds of draft horses, but you know a Belgian draft horse can pull like 8,000 pounds, which is impressive. But two draft horses together can pull like 24,000 pounds, three times the amount that one can pull. Together, we can do so much more. We, we don't do life alone. When we do, it's weary. We're weary, but doing life together empowers us. It empowers us. You're probably you're familiar with that old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go far, go together. It's just how God's wired us to do this in community with other people. So we get into the New Testament where Paul would write in Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 5. He would say there, carry each other's burdens. He's talking to his people. He's talking to the church. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And then in verse 5 he says, for each one should carry their own load. But which one is it? Carry other people's loads or carry your own load? And the answer is yes. That's exactly what God's saying. It's not a contradiction. He uses two different Greek words in those texts. In verse 2, carry each other's burdens. The word for burden there means a heavy weight, a heavy burden. There are just so many burdens that are never intended for you to carry alone. We need other people in our life to help carry these burdens in life. We need each other. And then in verse 5, he says, each one should carry his own 
load, and that word there means a, a soldier's pack. Each one is responsible for their own loads and their own actions. Yes, we carry our own load. We don't delegate to others things that we are to carry. But at the same time, even as we carry our own load, we carry the burdens of others. We all share in that together. This is what a healthy community looks like. Carrying your own load, carrying the burdens of others that are too much for them to carry themselves. This is what it looks like to live in community. And if you're going to fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love one another, that's his law. Love each other. I've loved you. That's the law of Jesus. If you're going to love each other, you're going to have to carry each other's burdens. You cannot love each other outside of community with one another. So living in community, a third reason you should live in community is because when you live in community, that's how you fulfill the law to love one another. It is impossible to love with Christ-like love in isolation. The more you drift into isolation, the more you drift out of love the way Christ created you to love. The more you lean into community with other people, the more you fulfill the love of Christ, which is the law of Christ. And so when you lean into community, that's, that means you're there when life happens. When the prognosis is not good, when relationships are falling apart, when tragedy strikes the home, when a child is sick, when, a, when parents are aging, when the family's being pulled in multiple directions, when there's spiritual warfare coming against you and you're under attack, who's going to be there? in those moments when the going gets tough. And the statistics in America would say nobody, but the church says, no, there's somebody. There will be somebody. If you're in the faith family, there's going to be somebody. Tim Elmore, on his podcast, Founding Leaders, he said, you know, decades ago when researchers asked people, you know, how many friends do you have that you could call in the middle of the night in an emergency? The average number was five people. When they asked the number, that same question more recently, the average number was closer to zero. It was confirming what other researchers are finding out when it comes to our community and fellowship in this culture. Our culture does not have koinonia. It does not have fellowship. It does not have community. It continues to be more fragmented than ever. That means what our world needs is the church. Because when you're a part of the body of Christ, you live in community. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you're going to live in community. If you're not living in community, then we're not even being the disciples that Jesus has called us to be. It's essential for us to do that. We're designed for community. We're made for this. We, we are made better when we're in community. It must be a habit that we incorporate in our lives that we're going to lean into community with other people. Hebrews 10.25, the author there says this to us about community. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Some got out of the habit. This is the early church we're talking about. Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Let's encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Some of those early church were already getting out of the habit of coming together in circles and spending time in community with each other. They were becoming discouraged like charcoal that's been removed from the fire. They were growing cold in their fervor. And so the author says, you got to come back together. you got to make that a habit in your life. The last day's approaching, 
It's a day of reckoning. We cannot afford to not be meeting together to encourage each other in our community. And he goes on in verse 24, which preceded that verse, 25, where he said, let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. He's like, why do we come together regularly? Why are we in the habit of this as community? So we can prod, spur, that means move into action, people into love and good deeds. We need the spurring. We need the encouragement. We need people to prod us because we drift into apathy. Therefore, we need to be prodded into activity. And so coming together as a community does that. It sharpens us. It makes us better. We need that spurring. We need that encouragement. Because that's the biggest challenge for us oftentimes is, is courage. We, we lack courage, which doesn't mean we have fear. It means we have discouragement. We're discouraged. We're, we're di- in discouragement. And when we come together in community, we can encourage one another on towards love and towards holiness, towards good deeds. We desperately need that. We see it in examples all around us. Even in the realm of the animal kingdom, you see it. You know, I know coming up here, you're, you're going to start seeing geese migrating, right? You're going to see the geese. They're in their V formation. They're migrating. But let me ask you a question. Do you typically see them first or hear them first? What's your answer to that? Me too. I hear them first. Yeah, I don't usually see geese first. You hear them. You hear that, honk, honk. It's so annoying. Honk, honk, honk. Somehow they find that encouraging. They're like, honk, honk, honk. And the guy's like, yeah, thank you, thank you. And they just, it's like their encouragement. It is, actually, it is. Their honking is like communicating, but it's, it's more than that. It's like encouraging them. Probably, yeah, here we go. And so every time you hear a honk, it's encouragement. And so I'm going to encourage you to start honking at people. That's the encouragement. Not in our parking lot. That will lead to being spurred on towards, provoked towards anger and things like this. But we don't want that. But we, we need to encourage one another. And that's what they're doing, actually. And the vocalization is encouraging, prodding each other on for this journey that they're on. You hear them, and then you see them. And they're moving forward with action. We, we need, according to Hebrews 10, we actually need this. We need encouragement in our life. The fact is, I imagine most of you are really dealing with some discouragement right now. And you could use a little bit of encouragement, some, some prodding, which is what the community gives us when we come together. Even in moments when we have failed, the, the community comes together to, to love on us and to pray for us and encourage us to move forward and to go on and let, let's, let's, let's handle it differently next time. And we, we encourage each other with these swift kicks. So living in community spurs and encourages you toward love and good deeds. This is why we live in community. We need consistent, faithful, habitual, faithful living. You know, it was in 2010, it was like 13 years ago, I was coming out of a service and I walked out into the lobby and it was the last song, the church had not been dismissed yet. And as I stepped out into the lobby, uh, there was a couple there that I didn't recognize, I didn't know them, so I walked right up to them and just said, hey, how's it going? My name is Wayne. I said, I don't think we've met. And so they introduced themselves and they told me, we actually used to go to Northside like years ago, many years ago. I was like, oh, awesome. Well, I'd been in Northside for 16 years at that time. So clearly they had uh, been there well prior to that. They said, yeah, we were passing through town. They had moved many years ago. So we're passing through town and we just came today because we really wanted to see Larry Mindson. Now, if you know Larry, I don't know why they wanted to see Larry Mindson or why anyone would stop to do that, but they were doing that. And uh, so they were 
you know, waiting for the service to dismiss so they could say hi to Larry. And they said, yeah, he has no clue, you know, that we're here. We just kind of stopped unannounced and figured we could just say hi to him, wanted to see him. I said, that's awesome. And I said, uh, so first of all, my first thought was, how many people do that? Like really want to see someone. So they show up unannounced at church. If, if they did that in today's world, where the average person goes to church like one out of four times a month, that's like the average. That means you're like 75% likely to miss them, right? But they came with full expectation that Larry would walk out of that door. Why? Because he made the community, the gathering, like a, a habit in his life. Like it was ex- expected that he would be with the faith family on that weekly basis. And I said to him, I said, well, Larry is here. In fact, I saw him and talked to him this morning. This is, you know, again, like 16 years ago. I said, I talked to him, and, uh, and he is here. I said, in fact, he, he had a section of his colon removed this past week, but he's here today. And I, in that moment, I just realized that there's this expectation for community, that there's this habit of coming together. Someone said habits are like a cable where every day... That little habit that we do every week, it, it's, it's a thread. And in and of itself, it's nothing significant. But week after week or day after day or moment after moment, as those threads and those habits are exercised, it becomes weaved together into this strong fabric, this cable that is incredibly strong. It's the same principle from a, that they use for a, a suspension bridge or something else. It's just it's one cable wound under another and it becomes a strong that, cable that cannot be broken. Habits, whether good or bad, form cables into your life. And some people, the thread that they've been weaving is one of isolation instead of community. And God's word is challenging us towards community. I, I want to read a, a section of scripture to you that goes on to talk about this. In Romans chapter 12, 3 through 19, this text is all about community. And the text says, for the by, by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us have, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what's evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it's possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord. I think there's 
multiple things we can get out of this text that tell us why we should live in community as followers of Jesus. And the first one out of this text is this. Living in community reveals a more accurate view of self. Like Paul, Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. People who think of themselves more highly than they ought don't think they need community. They don't need other people. They don't need the community of faith. They got this. They can live in isolation. There's a great deal of arrogance and pride that comes associated with that. And Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly. You are a member of the body, which means you're important. You have an important role to play. That's important. But also means you need the body. You need every other member functioning. We need each other. It is arrogant and prideful to think, I don't need the body. I don't need community that God builds. I can do it on my own. No, you can't. Every gift you even have, every ability you have comes from God, and it's intended that you share it with others, that you build up the body of Christ. You should have a proper sense of humility, that, that you are not above this. Second of all, I read this, that living in community gives a platform to express your spiritual gift. If we're not in community with other people, then we're not expressing or using our gifts in the way that God intended. You should evaluate your gift honestly and humbly. He's like, don't overvalue your abilities and gifts that God's given you. Don't inflate yourself, elevate yourself. That's not humility. But also don't undervalue your abilities or gifts either. Don't think less of them. That's not being honest with what God's given you. Your contribution to the community is essential and needed, and their contribution to you is essential and needed. So live in community. Here's another reason from that text. Living in community is how you express sincere love for one another. Romans 12, 9 says love must be sincere. That means genuine without hypocrisy. That word for love is agape. It's, it's God's agape, unconditional love. That's the kind of love we gotta have for each other. But then Paul moves more intimate in verse 10. And he uses two other words for love. And he says the kind of love you should have for each other is, is what he calls brotherly love. That's phileia and storge. Those are the two Greek words which have to do with with family and friends, that kind of love, brotherly love. It's the kind of love you have between family and close friends. It's affectionate. It's instinctive affection, like what parents would have for their children or children would have for their parents. You should view one another like family. That's what he's talking about, a brotherly family love. That's why in 1 Timothy 5, Paul says to, to, to Timothy, this young man, hey, how should you view younger women? He says, view, view these younger women like your sister. How should you view younger men? View these younger men like your brothers. How should you view older women like your mother and older men like your father? God designs for his community to have this, this family dynamic relationship of community where we interact with each other, we show concern for each other, and we love each other well this way. In fact, our love will be more pure and more affectionate if we love, love each other like family. Brothers, sisters, moms, dads, son, daughter. And Paul would even say there, one of the ways we show sincere love is by meeting people's needs. In community, that's what happens. And he says there's two different kinds of needs you can meet. He says the first one is for the saints, for the, for the Lord's people who are in need. That was the first one that he talks about there in verse 10 and following. And so we share our money and our material goods and food and clothing with people in our church family who are in need. But he goes on to say, also practice hospitality, which means we also must share with strangers. That's what that word hospitality meant. It meant literally love strangers. 
That's what the word meant, love strangers. We're, we're hospitable with those who are not yet a part of our community, those we don't even yet know. And so we look for ways in which we can care for them too, be a place of community for them too. And so we take the initiative, we look for opportunities, we look for refugees, we look for the lonely, we look for the stranger, and we don't just say, stranger danger. No, we, with hospitable spirit, look for ways that we can help meet those needs as well. We've known some Christians who even build extra rooms in their homes to house missionaries or workers and people on furlough or to help people during seasons of need. It's a way to love and to love well. Here's another way we can love well as we live in community. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Maybe I'm in a, in a season of mourning right now and then someone in my life has something great happen for them and they're rejoicing. I may be in a spirit of mourning, but I rejoice with the one rejoicing. I don't, I'm not jealous. I'm not envious. I'm celebrating something good that came into their life because that's what love looks like in community. And I may be having great things happen in my life and I'm rejoicing and I am celebrating and all is up and to the right and good right now. But my friend is mourning. And so I mourn with those who mourn because when you live in community, that's what we do because that's what sincere love looks like. This is a call that we, we're to move from isolation into community. It's critical for our journey to be at peace with God and at peace with other people. Community is essential to help people who are struggling in life. In fact, there was this powerful uh, story, article came out. It's also, uh, you can find a Facebook video and other things online as well from Victory Mission, which is a, a work that we support, especially the restoration program. We've supported that for years. And there was an article that talked about Damon and Katricia. Right here in Springfield, Damon and Katricia. And the article was really telling the story that enduring relationships and community made all the difference for Damon. Before Damon came to victory, he didn't believe he could escape his addiction. More than that, he wasn't even sure if he could restore his family. Uh, he was on the brink of collapse. He'd been caught. He'd been put in prison. He was going to be let go, but he believed his whole world was falling apart. And Jason Henson, the director of Victory Mission, who was writing this article, he said, you know, for people living in extreme poverty, one of the biggest difference makers can be what we call social capital. Something that Jason said has set me up for success in my life has been the people around me and the friends I've made along the way. When I made decisions that weren't in my best interest, I had family, friends, fellow believers point me to Christ. They would encourage me and share hope for a better way. When I needed help, I knew I had a community I could rely on. I mean, that's what a healthy community is supposed to have and looks like. But he said, Damon didn't have that. Jason's like, in my community, we build each other up. We edify one another. We stir and spur one another on towards love and good works. We do that. But that was the missing link for Damon. And when he came to Victory Mission, he began to develop a support system he made friends with mentors and spiritual leaders. He gained brothers and sisters in Christ, and everything started to change for Damon. He built a network of people who believed he, was, he did have something to offer the world, and more importantly, he had something even to offer his family. And one day in class, Damon was reading Galatians 2, verse 20, which reads, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And Damon says, that's when I finally abandoned my pride and my insecurity 
insecurities and my ego. And I said, God, you got it. I can't do it. That's when God got to work in me, Damon said. And slowly over time, Damon learned more and more about his identity in Christ. He began rebuilding his relationship with his wife and with his children. And today, he's graduated from the restoration program. And after completing a paid internship in Victory's Workforce Development and Outreach Center, he's now accepted a position with ICF, Walls of the Ozarks. And now both Patricia and Damon are excited to see what God has in store for them and how God might help them help other struggling couples who are in isolation and in addiction and other people who need community. He said, we're looking for ways we can help them down the road to find their victory because there's a way out of it. You can have victory in Christ, Damon says. And one of the keys for him was moving from isolation, which you tend when you're in that spiral struggle to isolate yourselves from everybody and through wounds and brokenness, get isolated from everybody. But once he stepped into community, into relationship, and Victory Mission was able to provide that for him, it was in that moment that it was a game changer. We believe in this. And what excites me about this is this is something that for years we've been supporting as a church financially. You've given to this. Even our one less gifts, we've given generously towards that, towards the restoration program and to Victory Mission, which means because you are in a community, because you're living in community, doing what communities do, which is give and share with the needs of people here, but also we heard earlier, we share with the stranger, those who are not in this community who need help, Because you've done that, you helped someone who was outside of the family of God and had no community in his life step into community, step into the family of God, and now be in a a position to help restore the relationships with his family. We're a part of that. This is the value of community. This is why we give generously. It's why even today, like right now, you can give today as an act of worship with the information on the screen or you can give at the boxes in the back of the room as you live, as you live, as you live and move and have your being. As you leave uh, through these doors, you can give. And as you do, that it goes to work in our community to advance the gospel here. I also think there's some next steps that you can take. You know, we're entering into a season as a church where we really ramp up helping people find community. And it's about to happen. In fact, August 13th, I believe, all the signups go live for what's happening this fall with all of our groups. And we've got some signups happening. In fact, if you go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash connect, that that, that takes you to a page on our website that's all the groups. And these are going to be going live. I don't think they're quite live yet, but they're going to be going live. And you'll be signing up for multiple things. One is Rooted. How many of you have been through Rooted? Just raise your hand if you're in the room and you've been through Rooted. And if you're in the room and you've not yet been through Rooted, I'm going to encourage you to do this. It's going to be an 11-week experience where you find your, your purpose and, and you learn about God and your purpose and, and your connection to the church and how God wants to do that. And it's done in community, in a relational setting that is powerful and moving. It ends with a celebration dinner on December 3rd. And it's just a powerful time. And, and if you've not yet done Rooted, this is a way for you to enter into community where you do life in circles, not in rows. And I want to encourage you to sign up for Rooted. It's going to be a powerful thing that's getting started this fall and it'll launch uh, the week of September 10th and it'll end on December 3rd. It's going to be a once a week powerful thing. So I want to encourage you to do that. Something else that we offer as a church that helps build community is our life groups. And every year we try to do some things in our life groups that would help build community a little deeper. We're going to be doing that again. And 
And those life groups are going to launch the week of September 10th and signups are going to, and our small group involvement minister, John Presco, would love to help you get connected to a life group. So we want you to sign up for that. Be a part of that. We also have a group starting this fall. It's called Grief Share. And it's for those who are looking for support and community and help and recovery from the hurt of losing someone in your life and you're just dealing with that grief. It's a great share group, grief share. And uh, so we're going to be doing that. It's going to be a 12 to 13 week journey that's going to start on September 13th. And there's going to be a way for you to sign up for that. We want to encourage you to get into that community. Be incredibly helpful and healing. And so we want to invite you to that. And then some of you, you've been going through some of disciple-making training stuff, and that's what you know this fall we're wanting to launch some simple churches. And these are people that gather together for the purpose of discovering the Bible, and they read Scripture, and they obey it, and they share it. And they want to see those groups not just reproduce, but they want to see them replicate and grow even deeper. And if you're interested in that, I, I want you to talk to me. You can just send an email to me, wayne at northsidechristianchurch.net. Let me know you want to start one of those, and we want to help support you to start it. And there's just so many ways in which we need to move into community, and that's our prayer. And today, I just want to invite you right now. In fact, as we stand to our feet today, if you'd like to pray with someone today, our prayer team's here. They've already been praying with and for people today, but they're coming down here to the sides of the room, and they want to pray with you here on the sides. And I want to encourage you to go to them as we sing and just pray together. I want to invite anyone here who wants to begin a relationship with Jesus or to have a conversation with something you're struggling with. Or maybe you want to become a member of this church or you want to know what your next steps are. I'd love to talk with you about that as well. I'll be at Decision Point through these double doors just right over here. If you're in the room, I'd love to do that. If you're watching online, just go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision to do that. But as we sing about what it means to be the church, what it means to enter into this community that Jesus designed for us, we want to take these steps not towards isolation, but we're going to turn away from that. And we're going to step into community the way God intended. Let's do that together as we sing. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.